Last week we talked about two of the most difficult things in a woman's life, the pain of bearing a child and then conflict that often riddles marriage. Uh, And this week what we'll talk about is something that strikes to the core of a man's heart. And that has very much to do with our jobs that we love very much. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, we've been walking through Genesis chapter 3 for the past four or five weeks, and that is the story of the first time that mankind ever disobeyed God. Uh, What the Lord did was he made the first man and the first woman, and he put us in a garden, and he told us, eat from any tree that you want to, but don't eat from this one, and we went and ate from the tree that we weren't supposed to eat from. And the words that we've been reading are God's response to that, kind of the penalty of that, last week to the woman and this week to the man man. And I bet every employed person in this room could probably tell me a story about how frustrating their job is. We could just go around the room and spend the whole time doing that if we wanted to. The Wi-Fi goes out, your boss, that one coworker. Uh, whoever wired the building before you didn't wire the building right, now there are all kinds of problems with it. The copy machine broke again, the equipment broke down, your drill doesn't work anymore, whatever you're working with breaks. Things happen that frustrate us. One of your guys walk off with one of your $500 weed eaters. We could spend the whole morning talking about stuff like that that goes wrong at work and frustrates us. What we don't like to think about though is, imagine this, imagine through all that frustration, you build up either a strong business over the decades or a great department and a company or just build up whatever it is you're building up. The whole thing goes well despite problems. And at the end of it, you've got to leave it to someone who has no regard for all the sweat that you put into it. To someone who may take it a direction contrary to the dream that you had for it, or someone who may very well squander everything that you have put your sweat into building it. And there is the very real possibility, we'll read about it later in the scriptures, that you will have to sit on your deathbed and watch what you have built unfold before you as someone else squanders what you have built up for them. The reality is that's likely to happen to most of the successful people in this room. And whether we admit the reality or not, our hearts seem to understand that work is frustrating and at the end of life we are going to die. Now we don't like talking about that, but we all feel it in our hearts. Young people today, for instance, sometimes go through this panic that is so common there's a name for it now. It's called the quarter life crisis. Some of you probably talked about it and heard about it. But basically what happens is young people are raised with so much pressure to succeed today, so much invested in them, then they usually go into debt, educating themselves. All this pressure to make their impact and do great things for the world once they get out into the workforce. Well, then they get into the workforce and they find that bosses are mean and jobs are hard to come by and things just don't go as well as you thought they would go. So then they're there in their late 20s working as an intern or doing something that's nowhere near what they thought they were going to be doing and just saying to themselves, I thought I was supposed to have taken over the world by now and I can't even get a fair wage for my work. And all that pressure just begins to make them pop. Now, More familiar perhaps to some of you is the famous midlife crisis that happens oftentimes in a man's 40s. I may face it soon myself, uh, where your heart just realizes that your career in a few decades is going to end 
And probably in a few decades after that, your life will end as well. There becomes that feeling that there is only so much time left to finish off what you are doing. And sometimes a man has a tough time handling that. Where did all that come from? Well, if you haven't been here long, you may or may not have figured out that this is a place where when the Bible speaks to a really hard reality of life, we don't skip over it, though that would be comfortable. We stop and we listen to see if it could perhaps give meaning to our suffering and our hardship. Because we believe here that God's ways are good and his words are good and they give meaning to even the most despairing things about life. So if you're a follower of Jesus, here is what I pray happens for you this morning that the Lord does in you. I pray that as we talk about the frustration of work, the futility, the death that comes afterwards, I pray that you will get a glimpse of the hope that Jesus has secured for you and that that will give you a godly patience in the frustration of your job or perhaps allow you to look back on your career with the right perspective. And if you aren't a Christian, I hope these words become especially meaningful for you because the truth is we may not agree about much, but I bet you feel like work is more frustrating than it should be and you can't deny that you're going to die one day. And you can search the world over for explanations for those two facts. And the world won't be able to give you answers for why, after supposedly 4.6 billion years of history, we have not evolved out of death. And we have not evolved out of making work less frustrating. The world can't answer those questions for us. So why not then spend the next 30 or 40 minutes with us looking in the Bible to see if the Bible can give answers to the deep questions you have that the world cannot answer for you. If you've got your Bibles, open them to Genesis 3. Uh, in the pew Bibles in front of you, those are on pages 2 and 3. We're going to read verses 17 through 19 this morning in Genesis 3. Then to Adam he said, this is the Lord speaking, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. And toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. And you will eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat your bread till you return to the ground. Because from it you were taken for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The words of the Lord. These words explain why a man has to work so hard to provide for himself and perhaps provide for his family, only to die and lose everything that he has worked for. And these words cut deep into the core of a man. I've had to dwell on them all week, and I don't think I have words for the despair that they put in my own heart and ladies, it may not make sense, and I don't know that I can explain it to you, other than just to say that we just really love our jobs, and we take them really seriously. Sometimes we even neglect you because we have our eyes just obsessed on doing work, doing good work, making an impact, helping others through work, and just doing well there. And it just kills us inside to read that we will never have that go to work and crush it job that we have always wanted, but these thorns and thistles will continue to haunt us. Men, to understand these words, you first have to face them. You first have to look 
right at them, right in the eye, let them sink in. That despair has got to hit you before you can do anything with what the words say. So just spend a moment now and let them sink in. That day that you dream of where you go to work and crush it, you're not going to have two of those days in a row. Your next job is not going to be free of the hassles of work the way that you think it is. You'll be hounded by difficulty every day that you work for the rest of your life. And if you manage to make something out of your toil, even something great, you will lose it as your body passes away and you turn back into dust. Do you feel the despair of it? You have to let it sink in before you can truly understand the hope the Lord wants to give us. Okay, if we feel that together, we can start asking why. why. Why is it so bad? Why is it like that? Because the Lord gives us an answer here. He uses the word because, and he tells us exactly why. The short version of why is because we disobeyed God. And if you look at verse 17, you can see how many words the Lord uses to say that. He doesn't just quickly grace by that and go by, because you disobeyed me, here is what happens, which is in fact what he does before. Now, if you look at verse 14, to the serpent, he just says very quickly, because you have done this, and then he skips right into what he says. To Eve, he doesn't even say what she did. It just goes right into the rest of it. But for Adam, like he just busts out Roger's thesaurus and is just like, I'm gonna use the words here. Like he lays in to Adam over it. He says, because you listened to the voice of your wife, which implies you did not listen to me, you listened to her instead. Uh, because you listened to the voice of your wife and you ate from the tree, about which I commanded you, there's the commandment again, saying, now he goes through the trouble of reiterating the command again, saying, you shall not eat of it. He is really driving home the point here that Adam disobeyed God. This is all to emphasize, Adam, I told you, I told you not to do this very thing. And that's because Adam is the one that the command was given to. It makes sense. He gives the command to Adam, so he holds Adam more responsible in that way. And so there's your answer. That's why it is the way it is, because we disobeyed God. You're in the middle of something important at work, something that maybe depends on the internet, a really important project, and right at the crucial moment, the Wi-Fi goes down and the whole thing just crashes, right? And you're there with your head in your hands. Why is it like, why does that keep happening well, here's the reason why. Because the God who made us and the God who made work, we disobeyed that God. And now we and our work are just in this constant, frustrating relationship. So that's why. It's on us. Now let's look into the particulars of it. Because the Lord uses four different images. He uses them all multiple times in his words to Adam. Most of them twice, one of them three times. Let me read through uh, the curse that is said here again. We'll start at the word cursed in 17. He says, Cursed is the ground because of you, and toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So, four images here. The first one is the ground. The ground from which Adam was made. He was also commissioned to work. 
So there is then an intimate connection between who Adam is, what he's made of, and the work that he does. He works the very ground that he was made from. And that continues and lives on in men and women today who take their jobs seriously and have this intimate connection with what they do. Why is that? Well, we were made from the ground and we work the ground. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, now, I don't work the ground. I work in an office or I work in a truck or I work on air conditioners. Well, all the tools that you work with were made from what? Materials out of the earth. The Lord gave us dominion over the earth. He set us over the whole thing, said have dominion over this. That enables us to dig up the treasures out of the ground and make greater things with them. And now that computer that you work on, the phone in your pocket, the desk chair you're sitting on, the car that you're driving, all the things you work with, they were all made out of treasures from the earth by sons of Adam. And so we can escape the fields and work inside if we want to, but we can't escape this curse. We're still working on things that were made from the ground and work is still frustrating because that ground is cursed now with thorns and thistles. We were gardening in the Shire, now we're gardening in Mordor. And you can imagine what it would be like to garden for your food. And if this plant doesn't produce, you don't get to eat. But you've got thorns, you've got weeds constantly coming up, choking the plants, and even damaging your own body and causing you to sweat as you're working them. How anxious that would make you and how difficult that would be. And that is what the Lord says when he uses the words toil, uh, which your translation might say pain, right? Anxious work, difficult work, hard work. Uh, That word for toil in verse 17 just means unpleasant, difficult work. But the Lord also makes it more real with the same image again. He says, by the sweat of your face, you're going to do this work. So it's, you know, it's like if you're out in the garden and, you know, if if you're hoeing the ground and it's nice soft soil and it's easy and like great, you may break out of sweat, you may not. But when it's hard work, like the ground is dry, it's like rocks and you're hacking at that stuff, it's not long before you're wiping the sweat off your face because you feel in your body the difficulty of hard work when it comes. He says you are going to feel in your body the difficulty, the frustrations in your work as well. And we don't escape that either, right? It may not be the sweat of your face. You may be working in air conditioning. You may not be working in air conditioning. Uh, But it may be instead that your back starts going out because the office chair that you're sitting in turns out isn't very good for your body. Or it may be instead the anxiety of work leads to stress and panic attacks and heart problems and all sorts of scars that our bodies bear because of the work they do. So once again, we can escape the field, but we can't escape the curse. The third set of imagery is eating. Uh, This hard work is how we're going to eat now. And there's some irony there because Adam's sin was that he ate from the tree that he wasn't supposed to eat from. And before that, he could eat freely from all of the other trees, right? The Lord tells him, this is a bountiful place. You're doing work that goes well and flourishes. He's commissioned him to work that soil and work that ground and make that garden beautiful. And when he gets hungry, he just stands up and takes something out and eats it. And then he's done. Who knows what he does with the core, if he can eat the whole thing and just goes on, right? It was easy work. It was easy life. It was good stuff. Well, now to get the same fruit and eat, it's going to take difficult, anxious toil, a constant reminder that we ate from the tree we were not supposed to. 
And we remember it every time we come home from work with a paycheck and we sit down to dinner, but we can't really thoroughly enjoy the meal because the stress from work just follows us home and we're still decompressing from it. We remember it every time we go out to eat and we look at the bill and we say, why does it cost that much, you know? Well, it shouldn't cost that much, but it does because food is hard to come by now. It takes work, it takes toil to get there. Uh, and I imagine maybe in the coming heavens and back in Eden, the bill would not have been quite so bad when you went out to eat. The last set of imagery is the most despairing. Uh, he says in verse 17, that, that pain of work will be there all the days of your life. And then he hammers it home in verse 19, which I think these are some of the most despairing words of Scripture. I'll quote him again. He says, Until you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Can you imagine standing as a man before God Almighty and hearing them say those words to you? Now, when it comes to the words, all the days of your life, we like to think that our next job will be better than this one, don't we? Like the next one won't have all the frustrations that this job has, but if we feel that way, we must look the words in the eye. All the days of our life, it will be like this. I had a boss once who took a great interest in my career, and after some years of working for them, he felt like I was ready to move on into a higher job, but he didn't have a, a higher job for me, so he, he advised me actually to leave working for him and find some better job for more money somewhere else. And so since he was kind of a mentor to me, I, you know, when I'd get an opportunity, I'd bring it and put it before his desk, and hey, what do you think of this? You think I should go to this one? And we're looking at one one day, and it wasn't really a better job. It didn't pay anymore. It wasn't really an advancement or a move up in any way, but but it was free of a couple of hassles that I had in this one job. And so it was alluring, you know, so I'm not going to move up the ladder doing this one, but I won't have to do this and this, and that's going to be kind of nice to not have to deal with that. And he just looked at it and he just really wisely said, you know, Dave, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. I didn't know what was coming at me in that next job, right? And if I looked at that and said, this next job will be free of the hassles of this job, well, I've got another thing coming. Maybe it will be free of the, next, of the hassles of this job, but there will be other things that frustrate you in that job. And likewise, if you're stuck in a frustrating job right now and you feel like your next one will be better, it may be better or it may be worse, but the toil of work will follow you all the days of your life. So don't try to change jobs to try to free yourself from that. But it really gets despairing after that when he starts talking about returning from the ground. Not only will it be all the days of our lives that it'll be like this, but we will finally die and decay and turn back into the dust of the ground. The very hands that you work with will one day stop working and they will decay. So to tie that all together, the computer that you work on, the car you drive, the phone in your pocket, the tools you work with, they're made of the same earth that you are made of. And one day, both of them will have decayed so much that no one will be able to tell the difference between their dust and your dust. So if you're looking at this stuff with me and seeing what a wreck we have made of everything, if you're feeling the despair in your heart, you need to know that the Lord is making you wise. 
Uh, the truth is, very few writers in history have been brave enough to look in the eye what we are talking about. You won't find a book that talks about this stuff very often. But one of them who did, and who I think did it the best, was actually called in the Bible the wisest man to ever live. His name was Solomon. He was a great king. The Lord gave him great wisdom. And he wrote of these things in a way that is so well and so gripping that I think we should turn to them and look at how he applies these words. So if you've got your Bibles with you, flip to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, which will be toward the middle of your Bible. If you don't have them, we'll put them up on the screens here for you as well. Solomon was probably the most successful man ever in the earth. He ruled a kingdom that was probably bigger than any other, certainly bigger than any other kingdom in his day. It was great. It was a kingdom of peace, and it was peaceful because nobody could challenge him. He was just so dominant in his era. Nobody was going to come against him. Uh, he became a master in many trades, a master zoologist, a master biologist, a study of great, wonderful things. He knew more than we could ever hope to know. And in Ecclesiastes 2, he writes his conclusions after he becomes this great, as great, far greater even than many of us desire to be in our work. This is the cry of his heart afterwards. He says in Ecclesiastes 2, verse 9, Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. Wisdom also stood by me, and all that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was the reward for all of my labor. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted, and behold, all was vanity, and striving after the wind, and there was no profit under the sun. And then skip down to verse 18. Thus... I hated all the fruit of my labor, for which I had labored under the sun. For I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control of all the fruit of my labor, for which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun. This too is vanity. Therefore, I completely despaired of all the fruit of my labor, for which I had labored under the sun. Where, where there is a man who has labored with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, then he gives his legacy to one who has not labored with them. This too is vanity and a great evil. For what does a man get in all of his labor and in his striving with which he labors under the sun? Because all of his days his task is painful and grievous, and even at night his mind does not rest. This too is vanity. So there's where God's words to Adam lead. And men, I wanted to read that and I wanted you to read that because I want you to see that if you marry not one amazing woman, but 300 amazing women as Solomon did, and you have many, many children who flourish and you accomplish everything that you ever put your hand to and you become the foremost expert in your field and in related fields and in unrelated fields, if you completely conquer the world of work, the cry of your heart will be vanity. You will not beat your chest in victory, but you will weep in despair. The word vanity literally means a vapor. And as you vanish and leave it to someone else who may squander it, you will cry vanity of vanities. Men, do you hear the Spirit's counsel in all this? Don't place your hope in your job. 
Work hard at it. Do good in it. Bless others through it and eat of your labors. But don't find yourself in that mistress, for she is cursed and she is fleeting. Instead, I want to tell you where you place your hope. Let's turn again to Romans 5, and we're going to see the way that the Lord solves this great problem that plagues the hearts of men. Romans 5, verse 18. I'll give you a minute to turn there. This is the Apostle Paul, and he is writing about this very day when Adam and Eve took from that fruit and they committed the first sin against the Lord. He says, So then, as through one's transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, that's Adam's sin, which results in condemnation to all of us, even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, there's Adam again, the many were made sinners, that's us, even so, through the obedience of the one, that's this other person, uh, the many will be made righteous. So we all became sinners through Adam's one sin, and that shows in how we act and what we do. Uh, but there was one other person who did an act of righteousness that results in justification and life to all of us. That one man did something that can make you righteous and reverse the sentence of death. This other man would be born of Eve after many, many generations, and what he would do, ironically, is he would die. Um, and that's a little strange because he was the only one who didn't sin like Adam. He's the only one who didn't deserve to die, and yet he willingly walks and sacrifices himself. So that the sentence that was spoken to Adam, until you return to the ground for you are dust and to dust you shall return, could fall on his ears instead of on our ears. And he was buried and put back into the earth from which we all came. And then, after returning into the ground, he rose up out of it alive again because sin couldn't have a hold on this man. So the promise that he makes to you and to all of us who trust in him is that when he returns, he will also rise us out of our graves to live forever in glorified bodies restored with him. His name is Jesus and he's the Lord himself. He's the one that we worship here. He's the one that we trust, the one whose ways we walk in and proclaim week after week. He's the one who calls you today and says, come and follow me. So take your identity out of your work and put it on him instead. Find yourself in him. And here's where this gets really amazing. Now, that was amazing, but this is amazing earth. So he promises he's returning to raise us all from the graves, just like I said. And when he does, he says what he'll do is he'll make a new heavens and a new earth and we'll live there forever with him. That's the promise that he makes. Uh, and the things we talked about last week will be no more. The pain of childbirth will be gone because we won't bear children anymore and there won't be any more pain. The conflict of marriage will be gone because there won't be conflict anymore and marriage will be fulfilled by Christ and his church united together so we won't get married anymore. And death will be no more also. We will live forever with him. But here's the crazy thing. Work will not be no more. 
we will still have jobs, fruitful, flourishing jobs. Those things will be gone, but we'll still work. And this is foretold by the prophet Isaiah toward the end of his book. I'm going to read to you from Isaiah 65. He says, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. So these words are about the new heavens and new earth he's going to make. And the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. Ladies, you won't remember the pain of childbirth. You will be so happy in what we have there. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for gladness. And then if you skip down to verse 21, it says, this is crazy. They will build houses and inhabit them. They will also plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build and another inhabit. They will not plant and another eat. For as the lifetime of a tree, so will be the days of my people. And my chosen ones will wear out the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they are the offspring of those blessed by the Lord and their descendants are with them. Do you see the hope that this gives your work as you increase in ability for a few decades and then decline in ability for a few decades? You're not past your prime. The best work that you will ever do is yet to come and it will last forever. We can decline and decline in ability until we die, but we will rise up and be better than we have ever been before, only to do more and more amazing things for all eternity. The songs that you might write in eternity, the buildings that you might build the people that you might lead for millennia, the technology that you may develop in the new kingdom, and through all of it, the Lord walking around, seeing your work and saying, good work. If you can keep that in mind, you can face the frustration of your job with godly patience. You can make work about loving others and not about bettering yourself. You, if you're in despair over your job or your joblessness, if you can keep that picture in mind, you can close Netflix and shut your device and get out of bed and do something for the sake of someone else because this job and this work doesn't have to be all that there is. It doesn't have to be our last and final hope. That is how you can heed the word in Colossians that says, whatever you do, do your work heartily. Ask for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. If you hope in this life's work and you find yourself in it, it will become self-absorbed, full of anxiety, and never satisfying. Unemployment will become despair. The threat of failure will be a dungeon master. But if you trust in Jesus, the one who breaks the curse, you can look forward to the eternal work that the Lord has prepared for you and you can face today's hardships with hope. The only way then to do your work heartily is to do it for the Lord. Let's pray.